Okay, do you want to intro on me? Uh, yes. Okay, good. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Bench Units. My name is Mark. I'm joined by James. James, philosophical question, as always, to get us started. At the ripe old age of, you know, 27 currently, aren't you? Yes, have currently. You, have you had a moment similar to the moment I've had twice in the past week where you've seen a word written down and know that you know it's a word, but I've kind of acknowledged that you've just never accepted, you've never really bothered to learn what it meant? You just like, um, yeah, I see this in sentences sometimes. I've done it twice this week. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm sure that's happened. That might also be like a baby tiredness thing that you've been like, mm, <laughs> this, th- I, yeah, I don't know. I've probably seen that. I've probably also used those words in the, in like context. I've heard them before and been like, yeah, that sounds good. Probably done it on this podcast. Yeah, I think we've gone away. I, I've seen this week ostensibly written down and I'm like, I know where I see that. I couldn't tell you what it meant. It is um, one of those things where you know where it fits. Like, yes. I do that. I do that in my second language regularly where I'm like, like someone asked me about how I knew what this full thing meant in Spanish. My Spanish is pretty good at this point, but like, I was like, I got 95% of it. And the 5% is just irrelevant most of the time. Like, (laughs) yeah, you you pick the rest of it up by context. I, I did that when I was learning German at school. And then there was the one word which I, I still to this day, I think I remember this word is Kaum, K-A-U-M. Any German speakers correct me. And it means hardly. So it's like, eh, I kind of know this is in there, but also if I don't know what that word specifically means, it literally makes the sentence mean the opposite to what I was trying to say. I was like, I'll just throw this one in here for a bit of seasoning and it ruins it. Seasoning is great. That is such a like language learning in school thing where there are certain like, I don't know, I did Spanish yet. A level, which for anyone who isn't in the UK is listening, is like when you're 17, 18, about to go to university. And it was like there were certain sentences, certain phrases, certain words that you were like, ah, this will get me top marks automatically, (laughs) which is mental. But yeah. Yeah. Look at me now. The old language essay writing like question on the exam papers where it's like, okay, how do I get this? Like, how do I put myself in the top band for the marks here? I use an outrageously complex sentence to open. Yes. And then just like cruise from there. Grammatically <laughs> like, perfect, but logically <laughs> bereft of all sense. Yeah. And speaking right. of bereft of all sense, shall we get into the episode? Yes, we should. Uh... <laughs> okay. Uh, should we start in Germany? No, I'm joking. Um, first game <laughs> of the week in Spain. El Union 82, Bilbao 64. Yep. Uh, Mark, did you see much of this one? I did. A mate of mine was playing in it, so I thought I'd give it a watch. Uh, Hasso, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, this was this was a weird one, man. You guys obviously lost by 18 in the end, but there was two separate occasions where you kind of let them out in front and reeled it all the way back into about five points. Um, yeah, we got it to five. It was the closest after yeah. the real first run. And it's a weird one because I kind of, having played in Bilbao for just over a season, I like I believe in every comeback now, which is like, because we've done it so much in the last year that I was like, oh, no, we can actually do this. But we just didn't have enough in the end. I think we give ourselves too much to do in the beginning. Like, I don't know 
first quarter was 25-14, according to these stats. They don't look 100% in terms of people shooting numbers and whatever, but I... Yeah, I, I don't know. Were we down? Like, it felt like we were down 15 at one point in the first quarter because they came out and they started um, Hasso, Greg, Bill Latham, Tom O'Neill, Danny Sticks, and pressed us. And I don't think we were expecting that. So kind of came out and punched us in the mouth, so to speak. And yeah, God damn it. <laughs> Um, yeah I think the I was speaking to somebody about this game before it tipped and I was like I think Illuminian are going to roll the press unit out here because if they fancied themselves pressing Madiba they probably fancied themselves pressing you guys Um, yeah I think that they were able to I think really the difference for them was they were able to roll their press and line out and I don't think it had like huge effect after the initial shock factor that they were trying it. Um but I think they were able to put on maybe their best defensive lineup and also get enough offensively out of it in the half court, whereas you guys don't specifically have like a press breaking lineup. You just rely on being massive and being able to keep the ball safe with some size. Um but yeah it kind of felt like they could they could win the offense versus defense sacrificing much easier than you guys could. Um, and your guys, two lineups, I think, were more or less like a break even when you went uh, with your like two mids and Manu versus when you go four bigs with Lucas. Um, yeah, I just thought it was Illunion having more options to some extent. The press was a big tool in the box, but I also think we kind of talked about this when you guys played them in that very first game of the season where your guys' spread of size is good against most teams and isn't enough to really bother either Bill Latham or Hasso. That yes. still felt like the problem for me. Yeah, for sure. And like even, I don't know, we went, they went 8 nil up. We called a timeout and then it was 18-5. Like that timeout <laughs> didn't really stem the flow, which is what you would hope for. But if you consider we were 13 down in the fourth quarter and lost by, what, 16? 18? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah tough, because that kind of, in my head, I feel like we're there or thereabouts in terms of when we're playing well, but we just can't, you can't crap the bed for six minutes at the start of the first quarter against yeah, yeah. a really, really good team. Um, and I just, yeah, they just kind of had a yeah they, yeah, they had they had enough going going on like scoring. They had enough from enough different sources. I thought Bill was unbelievable. Also had another big game against us. That's two. He had thirty and twenty or something against us in the Super Cup. And yeah, he kind of got inside because there's a weird thing of like you can you kind of you can't stop everything. So you try and put a lot of your resources into stopping certain players doing certain things, and then. I don't know, someone else gets going just enough that you kind of have to split your attention and then those gaps that you're trying to not let people have get slightly bigger. And yeah, very, very good team. And we just paid the price for starting really badly. And then even we won second quarter, tied the third quarter, and then they beat us last quarter again. Like Terry came in and kind of made a couple of big ones when we were 
Well, it felt like it. I don't know, actually. But it felt like he came in and made a couple of big ones when we were starting to feel all right about ourselves. But like I was talking to someone, I, I said, start of the fourth quarter and we were kind of making a push. It felt like I looked up at the clock at one point and I was like, or the scoreboard, and I was like, what do you mean? It's still 13. Like, yeah. it felt like one of those where you're just chipping away and you're like, has this gotten any smaller? But no, they yeah. just have enough scoring to keep going at all times. And I don't know, you're not going to beat anyone if you let them get above 80, and you're certainly not going to beat anyone if you only score 64. And if yeah. you do both of those in a game, you're going to lose by... <laughs> you're going to um, lose by 18, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to say they've always got enough because it was like... I, th- I think for me, the stinger of the whole game was when you guys got it to five in the fourth quarter. I think they brought Terry on for that stretch to try and kind of claw back the momentum. And you, I think Hasso had had a layup to push it to seven. You guys had then got it to five. And it went ball in Terry's hands on the mismatch. You got it out of Terry's hands to Greg. And Greg swung it to Tom. And then Tom hit a bank shot. And it was like, I mean, leaving a, a world class ball handler slash midpointer open is like not ideal. But out of the guys in the, that lineup, you would be like, if Tom gets the 15 foot shot, we'll live with this versus Greg and Terry and stopping a layup from Hasso. And I thought exactly. when, when Tom made that one and pushed it back seven with about three minutes left, I mean, three minutes is still enough time that that wasn't the killer, but that felt very gut punchy. Yeah, like just looking at these once again, not 100% on the stats, but it says Tom was three from eight. It was the weird shot at the end of the half, that oh, yeah, killer that and a three. It's like yeah. all three of them absolutely kick your ass, yeah. which is tough. But yeah, like you you have enough good players on the floor. Like apparently they shot 60% against us, 61%. Kind of yeah. felt like it. Um, Obviously when you're going inside as much as you are there, like... It's funny because according to these, Hasso's nine from 13, which feels right because he's shooting on the edge of the charge circle most of the time. And then you like look up and Greg's eight from 13 and they're all like semi-contested long twos. Yeah. <laughs> what, what can you do, man? Like, Greg hit some mad ones as well. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Nice. I mean, for you guys, I think the biggest reason for optimism here would be Asier only played 25 minutes, but you guys were only minus five in that stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he, when Alunion want to get into half court game, which they do against most teams, Asier is kind of one of the few guys who's able to match their orchestrative ability. So, do you guys come away from that being like, eh, we, you know, we get a little bit more from the Asier minutes and a few more of the Asier minutes, and we're we're right where we need to be, combined with not getting off to a terrible start. You guys, it's not an impossible thing to piece together yeah like i don't think we're as i say like apart from like we crapped the bed 13 down in the first quarter and we lost by 18 like you would take being up or down five with a few minutes to go in a game like that and then we've proven that we can pull stuff out there but weren't able to get it done unfortunately as i say because yeah very good team in front of us so fair play to them i also have some funny things to report from this game Let's um, so the question I asked the other day about whether it was a new white t-shirt every week or whether it was just really good washing, I can confirm brand new white t-shirt. Um, 
but I can. They're also no longer wearing white t-shirts to every game they changed after losing to um, Amiab, which I think is funny. I I don't think superstitions are real, but I think following them is funny. Um, that's e- that's even more of a flex, man, than a new t-shirt every week is being like, right on a loss, we redesign all our kit. That's like no, on a when... loss, we go from a plain white t-shirt to the t-shirt that has the names of people who are paying the bills on. <laughs> but um, yeah. But that's like, that's like the old. Every time a professional wrestler would like disappear for months, and then they would come back like rebranded with like a new gimmick. That's like the basketball equivalent of that. They're like, hey, how do we spice ourselves back up? New T-shirt. Yeah, but no, I, yeah, I was talking to the coach after the game, and I was like, I have to ask, was it a new T-shirt every week? Because come on, man. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah. ridiculous. But yeah, let's not spend too much more time on this. Illunion were very good. Um. Yeah, we got off to a bad start and paid the price. You can't chase. You can't be chasing a team that that's that's that good. I don't think. Yeah. Um. Well, apparently you can't. I also um. I'll tell you about this afterward. But I also got my first ever piece of uh podcast related trash talk in this game. I oh, won't. No. <laughs> I won't go any further. Um. Because whatever. It was funny. It was from someone that I know and like and. We had a laugh about it. It was like it was a joke, but yeah, just it made me laugh a lot. So if the oh, person man. who's the person who said something uh, is is listening to this, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're opening the floodgates on this one. Yeah, I'm actually. I, I, I said to them, I was like, I'm surprised it took this long for someone to be like, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. But as I say, if it was someone I didn't like, know and like, and get on well with, I would have been like, hey, is this a problem? But no, <laughs> cool. All we're right. Good. Right, next we move on all right so let's talk about this game for a little bit and then talk about three quarters of it really 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 fast because <laughs> the stream was absolutely busted in this game and completely no idea what went on yeah according yeah. to the stats this went to double overtime yeah well. i <laughs> What is happening? Did you watch this game? Someone tell me. To verify. I watched as much of this game as was watchable on the set. Um, yeah, I mean, the numbers check out that it did go to overtime, but I think this was like more than actually focusing on the, you know, how we got there. This was Mercia 85, Madiba 78. So this was, if you had told me early in the year this one was going to be this close, I wouldn't have believed you, but we're very much at the point now where Madiba are competitive with kind of the mid-tier teams. There's only really two bottom of the pile teams in Spain now, so yeah, I guess this were this is like a reasonable um, version of how this game would pan out with Jose Leap in the picture. Yeah, um, to be fair, if you asked me what I thought this game would have looked like three months ago, I would have said Mercia 20, Madiba 0, uh, pay your players, <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm actually really sad that the stream was busted for this one because it looked, once again, the stats are mental, but it looked like a good game and it sounds like one I would have been interested in. The first quarter was cool because it was just pace, like just flying around. It was only 2013 Mercia, but like a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about the the Mercia blueprint before is either beat them at your game or beat or like beat them at their game, (laughs) essentially at Mediva. Either or, you know, the only two options. (laughs) Um, Madiba are kind of lacking in finesse enough that they 
I think this style of game actually suited them better, um, although they can't really match Mercia for talent across the border in terms of like sixth, sixth and seventh guys or whatever. Um, they're kind of able to stay with them in transition, and I think Madiba having Jose Leap actually gives them the very slight half-court edge um, because there was a ton of like Mercia getting back in transition to stop the John Hernandez and Salvador Sandoval post-ups and then leap trailing into it. Like, it's a tough thing to do to get back with the bigs and then get back out above the three-point line and be able to take that away. And yeah. that's kind of, kind of how Madiba subsisted through this game. But yeah, I thought this was this was basically just like a, a Mad Max game, right? They just flew up and down at each other. But being able to see Lee Fryer taking on the Jose Leap assignment, like one-on-one essentially was pretty cool. Um, yeah, there are times where he's like, everyone else in the world is like, I will not show him any part of my footprint. I will play the most fundamentally sound defense yeah. in the world because I'm not having him draw fouls on me and seeing Lee Fryer like 40 feet from the basket just hounding him. Yeah. He's like, oh man, this guy believes in his chair skills as much as he should. And it's great <laughs> to see. But once again, as I say, the stats and I mean, the stream was weird, so I can't confirm or deny this, but yeah. uh, Jose Leap shooting... Uh, 12 shots and only one of them being a two is amazing. Yeah, uh, him being one from one from two and five from 11 threes is absolutely nuts. Uh, I but... think he was actually, I think he had a second two, which was like an end of shot clock hook shot. Um, but I think that was actually a two, but I think they've counted that as a three on the stats. But like, if that's the level of quibbling that we're having, then, you know, being one from two and five from 10 threes is still pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I respect it. Um, but what was I going to say? I think there's a weird thing where, like, him doing that, maybe, I don't want to say at the expense of, but him doing that, and then John having a, John Hernandez having nine from 23 is not what you want. Like, you kind of, the best games they've had offensively this year when Jose Leap has shown up is him being able to, like, leverage having another good player on the floor into getting John better stuff, because, like, John's still your best player. Um, and I don't know, once again, can't tell with the stream, but I, I don't know. Is there a way to sort of move things around so that you can get John better looks and get him going a little bit more because you're not winning a game against a decent team nine from 23 from your best player? Then you're yeah, dead, I th- but <laughs> yeah, I think this is a, um, this is the kind of thing where I think he gets John better shots against most teams because there is like borderline no question against most teams of, you know, if I push up to defend Jose Lee, is he going to get off the pick and they're going to be at a numbers advantage, like categorically, yes, against 95% of defenders. But yeah, I think um, Mercia kind of have the horsepower in Lee and Joaquin Robles and Biel Carbo for the amount of time he played. They mm-hmm. can put enough mobile guys on Jose that getting him kind of off the screens and into an advantageous position is a longer, more drawn-out process, and that ah. limits John's effectiveness a little bit. Oh, because you hear people talk in like, able-bodied podcast circles about, like, point-of-attack defense, where it's yeah, like... That's yeah, that's essentially what it is. Yeah, yeah, basically that. Like, rather than how do you defend once the pick-and-rolls happened, is like, how long does it take to get the pick and actually get advantage off it? Yeah. But And also the thing is, like, 
most teams, if you have someone that can stop Jose Leap, then that's your guy that can stop John Hernandez already busy. Like, yeah. yeah, there is that. Not many. Well, there's like the good teams have a handful of guys that can do both, but it's pretty, I don't know, like most teams, if most okay teams like this, if you had Lee Fryer on the ball somewhere, you'd struggle to find someone else off the ball that could stick around with yeah. a John Hernandez. But yeah, they've got the, they've got the horses, yeah, as you say, but. That's fair. I think the the other point of advantage for um, Mercia was they've obviously got their bigs who are pretty good mismatch hunters offensively, but neither of their bigs is really equipped to do anything about Lalo when he gets inside. Um, no. Like, I don't know if it's just like a physical size thing. Like John is obviously not the biggest guy. Salvador always. He's a big guy. I think it's deceptively big. But oh, yeah, I forget until I play against yeah. him. I'm like, Jesus. But, but yeah. then, then you watch him like fight for a rebound with like an offensive rebound with Lalo, and when they both get hands on it, Salvador looks like he's been like put in a washing machine. <laughs> Lalo's physical strength is just like seemingly too much to deal with. For oh, he's so guys. solid. It's like, I don't know if you've ever like happened to be like at a tournament where he's playing or anything, but he's so solid. Like he's so broad and strong. It's nuts. I I took took a charge from Lalo once. That's my, my claim to fame. And I'm still here <laughs> still here to talk about it. Um he's the only he's one of the only people I've seen who can like go footplate to footplate with you and push you out of the way. Like yeah. sidewards. I don't mean back. Yeah. Like he can somehow like <laughs> hook you without like you're putting flat surface against flat surface and he can somehow move you sideways. It's completely nuts. But yeah. But yeah, he just got got inside and finished on um, Madiba pretty relentlessly, and we've seen that not be enough for Mercier in the past. But when you're getting 22 from Joaquin Robles and 28 from Lee, and you're still able to beat them down inside, that's a pretty good formula. I don't think this was Mercier's best defensive game by any stretch, but this is probably also the most their offense has shown up. Sure. All right. I wish we could have watched that one properly. And talking about games that I didn't get to watch properly, shall we move on? We shall. All right. Amiab 72, um, Fundacion, whatever, FDI Leganes, uh, 58. Can I just say, I was talking to someone about Leganes this week. <laughs> I still think that. it's, I still think it's mad that. Las Rosas got relegated and all these guys have just like put a fake mustache and a pair of glasses on and are like, hello, it's me, Leganes player X. <laughs> I'm brand new. And like, obviously you can leave one team and sign up for the other, but it's like, <laughs> have you just like painted the walls on your home court and you're a different yeah, team? And I'm only joking. I don't understand how this works. You just happen to be sponsored by the sponsored by the same organization for people with disabilities, I imagine. But it's just funny to me that you're like, Hey, like <laughs> this is our first. <laughs> yeah, but okay. the, it is, but it's like it's so like elephant. Not that it makes any difference, but it's funny that it's like so elephant in the room that it's like I've not really heard it. It never gets mentioned on like the commentary or anything. <laughs> and I would love one of those commentators to be like, "Hey, for all those wondering, yes, this is the same team from last year, but they wear blue instead of red now." Yeah. But I wonder, like, are you like, nah, relegation, smellegations, all right, my guys are coming up. <laughs> or, like, <laughs> is there only an issue if they're either both in the league or both in the division below? Maybe that's the thing. But anyway, should we talk about some basketball? Because I can't, because the stream was bad. <laughs> <laughs> so my take on this game was that the camera work 
was actually a metaphor for what Leganes were trying to do to the game because at all times it was slow and janky and didn't have any flow to it whatsoever. Oh, and it's like, eh, that's kind of kind of what Leganes were trying to do for the game. It's like, hey, can we put this one in like syrup and slow Amiab down? Um, and you can't. <laughs> no, you can't. Although they gave it a decent enough crack for at least the first half, and Amiab have enough talent to power through even when they're not playing particularly well, but I thought this was a respectable stick-with-them performance by Leganes. Um, yeah, they just... Had this game been played exclusively in half-court offense, I think this might have been pretty close, but also I give the edge to Amiab there with Filipski being on their team, and then when you consider that transition is very much a part of basketball, that could very well be, you know, would it have surprised you to come on here? And I know the stats don't usually capture this properly, but it, if it was like this is a 35 point transition points advantage for Amiab, yeah, like what yeah. would that number have had to be to surprise you? Uh, yeah, high 40s to be yeah. fair. Yeah, this is the best transition team in the world, I would say. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like, yeah, as I say, didn't really see this. Um, Big Ben Fox game, uh, 26 on 12 from 15. My yeah. guy has not missed many shots in the last two well, weeks. I, we put this on the um, when we got the bench, the bench units belt nominations in. Someone nominated Ben. I was like, he's 20 from 23 over his last two games, but one of his missed shots hit the side of the backboard. And it's like, how, how many misses does that count for? He shared it and excused himself again, like, in my defense, I did swear as it happened. I did go, oh, bleep, as it happened. You're like, that that doesn't make it better, but it does make it funnier to us. So thank you. Um, yeah, as I say, I don't really, didn't see this. Um, but yeah, heard some stuff about it. But yeah, well, they have going somewhere, um, only getting another 20 minutes from Lee. I think he might have. That like had file trouble or technical file trouble or whatever the deal was, but um, once again, I don't know because this stream was terrible. It was disappointing um, me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this was. It kind of says it all about what we're dealing with here when it's like Lee being able to play less than twenty minutes, but you get twenty six points from Ben who. You know, it's by no means the size and physical dimensions of Lee Manning, but I think that's pretty indicative that you're not struggling to get diff you're not struggling to get easy shots and relying on like Lee wasn't carrying them by shooting mismatches because they were getting down the floor and getting shooting position way before having to play five on five was really that much of an issue. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah this was just this was like the the team that Amiab is beat to built is built to beat plays this slowly. Like that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I don't know what the roadmap for Leganes winning this game would have looked like other than like having to foul Amiab to stop them ever getting transition, but that would have been free throws anyway. Yeah. Uh yeah. Two different levels of teams. Yeah. All right. Uh should we talk about the next one? Let's do it. All right, so this one was Ferrol 59, Joventut 60. And it's hilarious because with Germany coming back this week and there being so many games on, I was like, there's probably a couple of games here I'm just going to skim over and be like, eh, I've 
kind of looked at this game more than I have watched it. <laughs> and then this one ended up being a one point game. It was like, what is going on? Yeah, um, I did the same. It was one of those where you're like, well, I can get away with maybe not watching that one. And then they always do this to you when you try and take yeah, a game off. <laughs> get, getting found out. But um, I mean, the big news here is that former belt winner Fabian Castilla, who's their player coach of Juventus, had 33 points, which is over half of his team's total output. Legend. So this would be a belt-worthy performance, but we are not giving the belt out for this game. <laughs> it's just not happening. No, and um, also, when one of your teammates hits a free throw to win the game, I feel like you might not be the guy that gets it either. Um, yeah, that's a, a valid... Jose point. Alvaro Mora Segovia, uh, according to the stats, hit a free throw. Um, I'm saying that's his name according to the stats. Number 18. Um, <laughs> according to my eyes and people who were also there and also watched, he hit one of two free throws. Yeah, yeah. So seconds to go. I think the story here was uh, Carol Jolts of Ferrol was their top scorer at 24 and he was 11 from 19 but he got his fifth foul with about a minute and 40 left yeah. um, so there is reason to believe I would have called this a Ferrol win beforehand um, just for the record but I think there's reason to believe they would have won this game had he been able to stick around but yeah. This is Joventut's second down to the wire win. And despite having maybe the least on paper talent of any team in the Spanish league, they've won the two games they've been able to hang around in. So, yeah. Might be enough to, to keep them, them up, honestly. Like something like that, like scraping a win that you're not meant to be getting yeah. when you're trying to win promotion. Like you can literally stay up with like three wins. Yeah. That's all it takes. So, yeah. I mean, this was the derby to not get relegated, right? So. Shout out to Joventut, who might be sticking around. Let's hope they get some... I mean, it'd be nice to see them stick around and kind of do what Mercia did, where they got promoted, and use that as a springboard to be like, hey, we've actually got something here. Does anyone want to come and sign up? Yeah, because they're obviously being... Obviously being Joventut, they're affiliated with an able-bodied team in in the area they're playing in, and that's kind of what Mercia did. Like, they got on board with that and obviously got well supported and yeah the more teams that are providing good opportunities for players to go and make a living playing basketball the better so that'd be cool but also that's not saying like uh, we'll see what happens yeah definitely should move on yes uh next one in the spanish league is amphi vigo 62 uh fundacion aliados via the lead 75 off the, I looked at this yesterday when I was watching this game. Off the top of your head, do you know what Vigo's win-loss record is? They've only won like two games or something, haven't they? They've won win and eight losses, and yet every single game they play against a middle-of-the-pack team, I'm like, uh, they, they're going to... like. There's a reasonable chance they'll have them here. Um, yeah, like they have done okay yeah. against yeah. nearly everyone all year. Like they took us to overtime. They've done yeah, well but- in this game. They were unlucky against the Canaries last week. Like, pretty good team this year, but yeah, just it's not, just that their win loss, their win loss record doesn't reflect how competent they are. I don't think, but um, I, do you um, think that's um? Do you think that says something about the sort of makeup of the league compared to last year? Because I feel like there's a really clear like top five or six, and then there was a middle pack, and then there were two bad teams. But I feel like it's like top two, everyone. Um, yeah, well, we kind of talked about the tiers last 
Um, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but I think it's really like at this point, um, Amiab have separated themselves at top, but then where you would think there was maybe like two distinct tiers between second best team and seventh or like sixth, seventh best team seems to have all kind of merged into one. I think there's currently three teams who are five wins and four losses and they're just going around in circles beating each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, Vigo just kind of have played all of those teams to within, you know, a respectable game. And like another example here, 13 points against Vitalid, who are third in the league at the moment. Yeah. I think Vigo are kind of the victims of the fact that there's a very expanded second slash third tier of the league. And yeah. they're maybe not third tier. That. Yeah, well, that, that's kind of what I'm saying is I think the second and third tier are currently all kind of one thing until the teams have played each other twice each rather than once each. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, Vigo would be at the bottom of the third tier, but obviously the third tier and second tier are just kind of fused at the moment. So sure. it sucks sucks to be Vigo, man. But the, the flip side is they, with how close a lot of their games have been, there's no reason to think they can't steal a win against like a good handful of these teams on the return fixtures so yeah, you know, yeah i would be very surprised if they ended the season with one win let's put it that way yeah okay so strange thing i randomly i noticed in this game i was like in kind of every game up until now i'd seen a lot of um i was Alejos, julio villas pick and rolls with um Basti Kolb spotting up um yeah. in the free throw line. But they kinda they came out of this game with this game. Basti Kolb spotted up um on the weak side behind yeah. Nawa Muhammad's um screen and they went just power side. They went yeah. two four fives in a pick and roll. Or I don't know his yes on a four. I don't remember how far his amputation is. Either way, they went two bigs pick and roll um and Julio Villas in, in up the middle and I was like oh okay because I, I don't know you're seven eight games in or eight nine games in at this point and having not seen that yet I was like oh all right I don't really I don't know it always surprises me when teams do something different yeah. and it's not it's not because I we spoke about this last year at one point I think where it's like it's not better or worse I think I'm just like anytime a team's going to change something up I'm always like hmm I wonder why but, yeah, and then they had a weird stretch where they played 12 minutes without um, Betancourt for whatever reason. I wondered like if I'd missed something and it was foil trouble, but it was not. No, it was, they just rolled with it. But they, um, yeah, they took him out of the game. They played smaller, but that was also at the point where Basti Kolb was, he knocked down like three or four weeks side shots in a row in, I think, spanning the third and fourth quarters. So, Whatever was going on there, they were obviously like, hey, we literally just need to run a pick and roll and swing it to the weak side and he'll knock a shot down. And yeah. Basti, Basti Cole, by the way, is like Andre Bienek reincarnated with how high he's determined to put a shot. It's just like, <laughs> it's, I don't know what's going on. But it, you know, as someone has a release point so high that you could only describe their body language as they shoot it as like jubilant, I don't really know <laughs> how else you would put it, but he makes shots, man. Um, yeah, Vitaly just had, I think this, we talked about Vigo like tweaking their spread of their offensive guys just there, but 
Vidalid just had much better floor balance in all of their two-man games and whatever else. Um, and you can kind of see it where I think this might be the most kind of cuts and layups Maxi Ruggeri's ever had in a game of it where like the number of times he just cut from the free throw line through the middle and it was like a pass inside and a layup because on the wing they were running like say Romo and Yelmo or Romo and Adrian Perez and mm. if you're letting a very small 2-5 you know cut receive the ball and finish off then it's probably a sign that you're spread a bit thin defensively um, Yeah, and yeah I mean, Vaillard had four guys in double figures and CJ off the bench with nine as well. So this is another kind of high-scoring, high-efficiency Augustine Lejos game, but they just couldn't match the spread of the scoring in this game, I don't think. No. That was it. Like, as I said, it's kind of... By the lead, I've kind of... No, I mean, sorry, Vigo have kind of surprised us this year that they were a little better than we maybe thought they were going to be. But then I think at the start of this, the start of the season, before I saw a good value lead where I probably would have been like, yeah, you know, Vigo are going to like, if they're going to step up, they'll be there, thereabouts in that mid table with Vidalid, but then by the lead have taken a step up as well. And yeah. they look fairly comfortable and went out there and got really good looks to the tune of shooting 61%. Um, yeah. Against, against a good bit of size as well. So like, I don't know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think Vidalid have kind of established themselves. I think they're one of the teams tied, um, or maybe they're just above the teams tied with five and four uh, record. But yeah, I think Vidalid have established themselves up to this point in the season as the third best team in Spain. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, again, again, if you're Vigo, no shame in losing this one, but it must must be tough for the guys on that team and with the number of games they've had within reach that they just haven't been able to get there but hopefully yeah yeah Yeah, and i'm sure they'd probably rather have like been blown out in half their games and won the other half rather than being really close in most of them but yeah it's just unfortunate like but i don't know like they'll probably play the two bottom teams and absolutely smash them four times and that'll be enough for them to build but yeah yeah right last spanish game of the weekend and maybe sneaky Game of the week candidate, which I wouldn't have called ahead of this. Gran Canaria seventy three, Malaga seventy. Yes. So this was weird. Um, two teams that kind of didn't start great, and then one in Gran Canaria that have kind of slowly but surely gone and started figuring bits out. And maybe this is maybe this is a study in like which of the two have figured it out slightly more, but also like three-point game very small margins i don't know yeah. if it's worth making massive conclusions like uh, getting getting to massive conclusions like that based on this stuff but yeah um we can talk about the end game stuff in a while but i through the second and third quarter thought malaga want to come we're going to come back and take it because they started um what did they go they started um, Kyle, Jaime's Barca, Pete Kuzak, and then they went uh, Chris Cosarina and Almu, which yeah. wasn't working for whatever reason. Then they swapped and they went um, Cosarina and Almu for Abdi and Gabriela Navarro. Um, yes. Michelle. She's, not, she's not played a lot this year. I thought she had a 
pretty solid game. Um, yeah, no, she did well. I think that's the only lineup they can play that they're like over points, so to speak. Like yeah. the only lineup with a reduction that they really have anymore. Because um, yeah. obviously they can go Kyle in with, they can have Kozarina in with a points reduction, but then you're under points playing Kyle with a lot of lineups yeah. anyway. But I was talking to someone about this game yesterday and I don't know if you agree, either agree or disagree or I've never thought of it like this before, but I thought there was like a, they put Abdi in in the second quarter and his shooting opened up the paint. And then it was, it was just interesting to me because there was a quarter of Abdi shooting, meaning that everyone else got going a bit more. And then they adjusted to shut down the paint. And that meant that Abdi shooting meant Abdi got going in the third quarter, <laughs> which is, so it was kind of interesting to see like, I don't know, you hear people talk about that sort of stuff where it's like you can't stop everything, you have to choose what you have to give up. And it was interesting to see one player on the floor or a, a certain unit on the floor with a certain amount of shooting, meaning like so very clearly like, all right, so if you're going to come out here, we're getting layups. Oh, what? You're going to stop the layups? Oh, cool. I'm going to shoot this. Yeah. Like they're not being a weird middle ground was interesting to me. And maybe it was just like, that's what I was yeah, looking for. I so I noticed it, but. I think you. this is the kind of thing that you typically see play out over like a seven-game NBA playoff series where it's like, okay, game one, we're going to... Like, Luka Doncic so is the guy I think of because he like seemingly breaks game plans by making people doubt themselves. Yeah. And this was almost like a tiny microcosm of that where people are like, ah, you know, Abdi has like all the career acc- accolades ever, but I don't think Abdi's had like a masterful shooting performance really this year, and I can't think of one last year particularly. But people were kind of like, "Yeah, we'll let Ab." They were like, "We'll let Abdi shoot these ones." Uh, no, we'll take these away. He's made a couple, and that's like, okay, they're killing us on layups. We don't really have any choice. And I think it, what you say about it being like, "We'll stop inside," "We'll stop outside," "We'll stop inside again." It's like eventually you just are like okay we can't do everything let's fall back to what we thought the default option would be like statistically letting abdi shoot it is still the best long-term course of action as opposed to giving up layups but it certainly doesn't feel like it as he's making them one after the other after the other yeah well they had 23 on 11 from 18 but you would kind of like the question you have to ask is like can we contest the inside stuff to the point that it's below 60 percent like yeah and the best teams can take away a handful of different things. But yeah. obviously, we, we'll get into the fourth quarter now and they managed to sort of yeah, I bring mean, it back that way. But they didn't really. They just scored like hell. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is... We've kind of talked about Malaga maybe not consistently knowing where their points are coming from, but they got a combined 24 of 37 shooting from Abdi and Jaime Esparza. But it's almost emblematic of their season that that comes at the exact same time they get a combined five of 22 from Kyle and Christoph Kozarina um yeah and- just like hey can several like it's the yeah. thing of like you it's the opposite of you wait for a bus and two come at once you're like hey can, <laughs> can two come at once at any point please <laughs> it's unfortunate um, and you talk about being a three-point margin but this game would not have been even remotely close if it hadn't been for whatever Alexi Ramone was doing. Um nuts. <laughs> it was just it was like <laughs> against the team that is actually I know they were down Lewis and no minutes for Jesus Romero um in this one, but 
this looks like a team that would typically have the horses to throw. Like Espaz is a mobile guy, Pete Kuzak's a mobile guy. And it didn't matter what Malaga were trying to do. Alexi Ramone had 35 points on 12 of 25 shooting and four of eight threes. Um, yeah. And a couple of big yeah. ones as well, like down the stretch. Yeah. He's managed yeah, to it, show up and take them home a couple of games now and felt very much like he wasn't the nail in the coffin. Like he wasn't the guy that made the layup. Um, yeah. That was Luigi, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, Luigi and Raul, two on one. But. Before that, he made some free throws, made some threes, and he's still like backcaster on the three point line king. Like, he's un- yeah. <laughs> unbelievable at what I would say is like not a great shot, but if it's going in, it's a good shot. If it's not, like, I, I was wondering about this after we talked about it last week, though. Do you think guys who are good at the weird 22 foot shot that's like just in front of the three point line, I wonder if those guys are actually better? fundamental shooters in terms of like body calibration because I would be willing to bet you there's a bunch of shooters who can make shots consistently from like one chair length behind the screen or can make threes consistently and would struggle from any areas that they don't practice from so I wonder if if you're a maker of what like you say good at making a bad shot is that actually you're wired up pretty well in terms of touch finesse all the stuff that you need yeah, maybe like we talk about, I've spoken to you about certain guys before where you're like, there's people who can like mechanically shoot from certain spots and there's guys yeah. that you're like, I could put this circle into this other circle yeah. regardless of the, con- like if you move the basket to 12 feet, they'd be like, yeah, okay. You set them yes. a different chair. They'd be like, yeah, all right. And that's just like touch. But yeah, I don't know. He's been, cause he's kind of been up and down throughout his career. He's had some weird games. And I wonder if it's like his mechanics are slightly unconventional, but He's certainly pulled them out of a couple of big games. Yeah. Here. It, like he had in the last like four minutes, he had about I think he had seven, seven or eight points in the last four minutes, which is yeah. And like that, this, I'll take you home. That two on one layup you mentioned. Um, I think Mali were down one at the point where that shot was made, but yeah. they I think they made free throws and then they tried to press, and it's like you're trying to press with Abdi as a one and Gabriel Navarro on the floor. You know, Kyle, I think, gets by as like when he's maybe your least mobile defender, but you've got two guys probably less mobile than him trying to press. And Abdi, Abdi does all right as a one. Yeah, yeah. Defensively, yeah, just positionally, like he knows where to be and stuff. But yeah, yeah. Abdi gets by okay, but I think that they, they tried to press there and they were ill equipped to do so and they. It was like obvious within a matter of seconds they were giving up a layup. Like it wasn't a Grand Canaria didn't run a trick possession where they like pulled some hijinks with you know early pick for the inbound or anything unexpected or as a press break. They just like got the ball in and passed it ahead and it was a two on one. And yeah, tough, tough look for Malaga, man. But yeah, they just couldn't slow down Ramone. And I think Raul Vega also made some timely ones in this game as well like he had 10 total but it felt like he made a few top of the key shots when there was every time there's a possession that was like right ramen is getting a shot away he's like okay i'll just make this yeah like almost enough to make them fear the you know what happens if we really blitz ramen this time yeah it's been cool to see raul play this year and play so much because the last couple of years that the two years i was there in the year i wasn't last year He's very much like he's been a part of what they do, but kind of 
off the bench as like a young local fella that might do what he's now doing someday. Yeah. Um, so it's cool to see that actually happening and him get the ball and believe in it in good moments and in, in big moments. It's been good to see. I say this just as someone who likes the guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. All right. Should we move to Germany? Let's do it. I'll move to Germany, passport. run away, start a new family. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no let's not do that bit. Um, right. So first game of the week was a surprise, I would say, for most people. I would agree. Um, Cologne 69, Wiesbaden 67. Is this our fault? Is it a podcast curse? I don't think so. <laughs> but it can't, can't be because Aaron Young still had a great game. So, um, Yeah, you're right. Good point. So yeah, this was a weird one. I, I was watching the Spanish League games like while the first half of this one was on. And then the second half of this coincided exactly with the first half of the Hanover Thuringer game, which we'll get to in a minute. But I like flicked backs and forwards between those two and Basically, every time I jumped back to watch the Cologne v. Spartan game, it was Asael Shabo hitting a contested post-up. Yeah. So li- li- literally four consecutive times, and the fourth one was him catching the ball with a second or so left and sinking the game winner. So I was like, no, I, feel, I feel like I know everything I need to know about this game. Um, yeah, that was yeah, kind this... of it. Like, I did watch this to be like, when did it, like, why did it get weird? When did it get weird? And I think it was just like, I don't know. Um, Cologne have signed Frank de Jong, who started this game, and I think it's just a thing of like they managed to just, even though Mustafa had a bit of an inefficient game, watching it, it didn't feel as bad. As, I don't know why, but watching it, it didn't feel like as wild as some of it can be when he's having a bad game. But yeah. I think a lot of it was because he was able to sort of just throw the ball into Shabo at the end of a possession and let him do the yeah. business, but. I mean, the really, if you look up and down the stats, the size advantage for Cologne kind of tells it all here, I think. Um, Ryan have got like a relatively decent spread of mids and size, but Chavo with 22, Bulut Kodal, who is, you know, as tall as anybody in the German league, um, with 11, and Thomas Raya with nine in just 19 minutes. That's all of their fours and four fives getting inside and finishing consistent. I mean, Chavo hit some tough ones, so maybe they don't count, but it felt like there was a lot of, hey, we always have the biggest guy on the floor here. We can chuck it to them and they can get a shot away. Um, yeah, there was a lot of just, like, okay, offense is broken down. Mustafa, um, Korkmaz, Asal, Chavo, pick and roll, throw it to Chavo, bucket. Like, kind of like that release valve. And I think Rhino's not having Chris Hooper not being able to go three big two ones yeah. to maybe give that a go might have been a factor. But also, when you talk about either going and matching a style versus going against it, if you try and go against it the way they do with their starters, even though they're pretty big across the board, and you have Louis Hardwell, who's your sort of mobile mid pointer, him going zero from seven, yeah, is going to kill it. you. Like he had 10 assists and had an all right game apart from shooting the ball. It's not everything, but like in an even a bad game, normally he might be two from seven there and you win the game. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's it's tough if you don't even have the ability you don't have the ability to match up. Um well you have Nico Damiano on the bench, but you know what I mean? You don't you they haven't gone to him all year. Yeah. 
um, you know, not being able to try three big two one against two ones against them, and going in the opposite direction not working for you. That's tough. That's tough yeah. to have. But yeah, Go, going in the opposite direction is effectively like okay, what they're gonna do is gonna work for them. What we're gonna do has to work better for us. And yeah, yeah. What what you you're then fighting an extremely uphill battle when you're like can we take them out of what they do and the answer might be no if you'd give them no reason to like adjust or you know if you don't make enough shots to get people to come out of the paint or whatever like they're not changing their tune so it's tough oh all that said man aaron hit five from five threes and damn near just dragged them back into the game herself um but yeah i thought they kind of split the minutes with Moji Kamali and Heiss Evan. Heiss was pretty efficient. He had 10 points and was 4 from 5 in 17 minutes. I think I would have lent slightly heavier on him than on Moji because Moji didn't really have a good... Like, he had 10 points as well, but I think you could have used a little bit more size there rather than a more smaller mobile 4-5. Yeah. yeah. Would have been, been worth going to. Yeah. Although, but, like, they did... <laughs> Yeah, but big um, big Chase Wolf game, 15 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, and he really played like an inside guy for Wiesbaden in, you know, for 40 minutes there, so shout out to him. But yeah, Cologne, we've not really seen them. They've tried to do the just outsize smaller teams and hope it wins it for them. They've like struggled against Trier and stuff like that when they've gone with that route, so it was impressive to see it happen against a more talented on-paper team, but Cologne aren't short of talent themselves, I guess. So maybe this win isn't that surprising. They've just not had one of this standard all season. And that I think they've been underperforming. So this seems more surprising by comparison. Yeah. Fair enough. Should we move on? We shall. Shall we go next? So this was the big game of the week in the German League. It was uh, Hanover United 56, Thuringia Bulls 67. So... I'm going to start by saying when I saw this score, I went, oh, they did all right. And then I saw that Sean Norris wasn't even in the game. And I was like, oh, okay," (laughs) because I would have thought this was about where it would have ended up with full squads. But um, no Sean for no Sean Norris for Hanover. And um, I'm just completely blind. Vanessa is who you're looking for, I think. No Yitzka for Thuringer either. No. Um, um, no Linden. God, yeah, I just completely yeah. blanked. Yeah, no Linden for Thuringer. Yeah, this was... I mean, you watch this one, and I, I didn't realize Sean wasn't in the game until literally the starting lineups rolled out. Um, but yeah, man, this was Hanover not being scared of anybody. Um and they went up against Haluski and Vahid, who, by the way, Thuringen have been doing the kind of one big starting lineup for the last handful of games. I think this was kind of a sign of respect to Hanover that they've been doing the cutesy stuff and then they've come up against Hanover and they're like, okay, let's, you know, take the gloves off this time. Um, but yeah, Tom McHugh and Alex Buda was kind of Hanover's two primary bigs went basket for basket with them for the entire first half and Tom McHugh in particular like we've seen him grow week by week he's playing his first professional season but that guy fears nobody who it would seem 
and yeah. doesn't seem phased by the moment at all. Um, and yeah, Hanover just they never the first half especially they never let the Thuringen out of their sight basically and were kind of up on them on a couple of occasions. I thought really the swing point was Hanover being up. I think it was thirty to twenty two. Um, mm-hmm. with a handful of minutes left in the first half, and then Thuring got it back to thirty-two all at halftime, and it very much felt like, ah, man, if they could have pushed that out ahead to you know double digits, not that that's not a gap Thuring could would struggle to make up, but it really felt like they'd let an opportunity slip, letting it get even again by halftime because Thuring certainly weren't going to come out with the same slow start they did to start the game they weren't going to make that mistake again 20 minutes later yeah for sure um yeah i found it really interesting it was one of these games where you see it's what an 11 point win and i always watch for like okay when did it break like when and to see that it was tied at halftime also interesting that first and second quarters were both 16 all yeah um which i just that's strange but one of the I I just love like I said earlier like I love watching teams just doing different things. Both teams came out and defended in like a two one two zone rather than your typical like um the way every team in wheelchair basketball has ever played <laughs> defense in the half court. Um, I know I'm being reductive. Teams rotate that stuff all the time. I just reductive love, and correct. Yeah, I, yeah. Wheelchair basketball <laughs> is wing pick and rolls and sitting in a circle on defense. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, no, I just thought that was interesting because, as I say, anytime teams don't just come out and roll the usual stuff out, I like being like, Oh, that's cool. But, um, that kind of put Thuringen into like shooting contested post ups on the edge of the key rather than, um, the usual like beasting on the inside. And oh, they shoot a lot of threes as well, but I think they kind of. I don't know. It was interesting to watch them figure out a new look, and obviously they did quite well um, figuring. Um, sorry, Hanover did quite well figuring out when to help off um, Marie Gear and stuff. They kind of had that stuff pretty well worked by the looks of things, and it was it was obviously going well at halftime to be in a game and then turn and kind of run that stuff anyway. Like they're massive and they like to park themselves in the paint like they started Jens uh, Albrecht and then they went to Ari and when you've got Ari on the floor with Halouski and Vahid you're, <laughs> you're going to want to yeah. send people inside because it's three giants but yeah, um, yeah it's I funny think... like Ari being a giant beside those two other guys because he's like maybe a decade I don't know what, what age those guys are but like he's about the guts of a decade younger than those like baby giant well he, he's a decade younger than them and he's probably about in terms of like sheer physical size, he's probably about the size of one of their arms. He's a but, giant. He's just well, no. He's like lot, he's massive and lanky. But those guys are, look like two or three of Ari like stuck together width wise. Um, but yeah, I thought this was you could. I don't know if this is like a bias towards the favorite team going into a game, but it felt like every time Hanover had it tied and were just clinging on, it always felt exactly like the absolute best shot they were given Thuringen was only just enough to keep them level and it always felt like I mean maybe it's a maybe it's a sign of quality of Thuringen but it always felt like just a matter of time until they took it away and the third quarter was an 8 point Thuringen margin Um, but yeah they just I thought the role players 
for Thuringen were massive. I thought Dylan Fishback kind of busted that weird defense that Hanover were playing when they brought him in and he sat weak side behind the screen and he made kind of two or three in a row and they're like, okay, we can't play that against him. And then when they brought Jens back in, he made a couple of shots from the baseline when they were like really obviously leaving him open to help inside against Kaluski. And yeah, I mean, it's they're the guys you want trying to beat you rather than Haluski and Vahid, but it's a real gut punch when they then step up and do that. Yeah. I think it was like, as you say, who was like them, like trying to let those guys beat them was one thing, but also I feel like in various parts, it went from turning and going, okay, can we, can we run our usual stuff? Oh wait, no, they're defending it differently. This guy's parked inside to, Okay, so they're running a two-one-two. There might be some space on the free throw line. There's going to be some elbow pull-ups if we screen differently. Like if we change our angles, we might be open on baseline pull-ups rather than still trying to go inside anyway. And I don't know. I feel like maybe Maluski and he don't think anyone is big <laughs> compared to them. But like <laughs> those guys can still shoot the ball, and they kind of pulled it back from like they hit a fifteen-foot catch and shoot from the free throw line. Haluski had one or two behind a screen, as you say, Jens Albrecht on the baseline, where they weren't like they weren't jumping there all game like that. Two on two stuff is kind of set up well so that you can jump people on the three point line and sort of higher up on the wings. And yeah. it, was, it was just interesting to see, see watch a team be like, okay, so where's the space? Where can I where can I actually get open? Where do we need to screen better? And you know, like Jordy had a little run because Jordy's great. Um, Maluski hit a couple and that was kind of enough to take it home but that was the thing I was super interested in like where was the run like where when did this game break open and I kept scrolling like skipping on a bit and being like oh not yet not yet oh interesting but yeah last question before we move on from this one was any part of this throwing and seeing that Hanover weren't rolling out Sean Norris and subconsciously taking this game lighter than they should have I don't know. I think that's impossible to answer. So, um, yeah, I I, w- I don't think it is just because I think when you routinely see Thuringen show up and put a hundred on overmatched teams every week, yeah, I, th- I think there's plenty of stronger teams where that would have been the case. But I think this is like credit to Hanover in that I no part of me believes that they played a Thuringen team that was underprepared or kind of complacent going into this one. I think they really did give them their best shot. Yeah. And yeah. this is a close game and like it's obviously throwing in a land deal next week and I'm all the more fascinated by that because that's now two teams that have been had a scare put into them by Hanover. Yeah, I can't and wait. That's the best opponent we've seen either of them play. So for sure. Yeah, I think this game, some... although the outcome might not have changed, it would have been interesting to see a game down the stretch with a team that has Sean Norris on it, have Sean Norris on it. Like, um, that makes a difference. Like, having a closer, so to speak, is, like, yeah, important absolutely. in those sort of stuff. And the game was kind of, like, it's not like it was a two-point game with three minutes to go or anything. But I wonder, does that little bump in quality and sort of a guy that's been in a lot of big games before, I wonder if that kind of helps out when the game is maybe if there's a little run to bring it to seven or whatever, like I wonder if that yeah, makes 100%, 100%. We'll have to find out next time they play each other. We will. I hope. Right. Up next, 
up next. A game with no stats. I was going to say Trier, zero. Monsterland, zero, according to the stats. <laughs> so so if this, anyone... one, this one was actually Trier, 50, and Monsterland, 62. But for whatever reason, there's no stats on the FIBA Live stats and not even any stats on that German website stat sheet that looks like it's from the year 1912. Um, Terrible. Yeah, this was a weird game, but this was also... Zoran Muller opened this game with a three, and I was like, oh my god, we're going to have a Zoran Muller don't pass a van shootout. And we kind of did until Munsterland decided they were going to defend Dirk Passavan with two guys at all times, um, giving him like the 2019 James Harden treatment. When, like, as soon as James Harden crossed the halfway line, NBA teams would send two guys towards him. That was That was maybe my favorite, like weird on-court NBA thing in the last five years where there was like a three-month period where like guys who have like paid their bills and sent their kids to college thinking about basketball for 50 years have been like what's a different way to stand (laughs) beside this guy so that he doesn't score or get a whistle like literally there was do you remember there was a three-month period where people were like we either double him or we stand behind him yeah or I sit entirely on his left hand, or, you know, like, and there have been better yeah, players than him in the NBA before and after and during. Like, he maybe wasn't the best player in the NBA at that point either, but just because he was doing something so weird, there were, like, NBA defensive coordinators on 500 grand a year that were, like, <laughs> I I don't know. Like, they were just Put suggesting weird him. stuff. Yeah. Um. What if yeah, we pour like, water in his socks before they get like he's <laughs> just making stuff up? Yeah, this was as far as I've seen any say this was just a regular season game. This was as far as I've seen any team take a game plan this year. I think the last example I saw of this was there was a Champs Cup game going back maybe like 2018 where it was a Lunion Cantu. Uh, when Cantu were playing with like Ahmed and uh, Francesco Santarelli, they were like, if Terry crosses the halfway line, we're just putting both the ones on him, and they left their three bigs to defend for. Yeah, um, yeah. But that was like a Champions Cup semi-final, and this is just a random game between Munsterland and Trier in December, and they're like, hey, we're defending Dirk Passman. They weren't even putting both their lows on him. They were putting like a high pointer and a low pointer on him at all times. And if someone came to pick, they would send a third guy. <laughs> it was absolute mayhem. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, that was weird. I only kind of skimmed this game just yeah. out of pure volume of games I needed yeah. to watch. But I'm going to go back and have a have a bigger look at that yeah. because I find that super weird and interesting and fun. And yeah. imagine yeah. like imagine coming to a game and going home again and knowing that someone had to do something they've never done before defensively just to stop you. Yeah, mental. Um, but yeah, Munsterland, the long story short on this one is they were able to contain Dope Pass Van and basically left Trier to shoot an open weak side shot on most of the possessions. Trier made just about enough to bring themselves back into it a couple of times, but Munsterland also had such a massive size advantage offensively. Um, Munsterland missed a load of inside shots as well, like Matthias Fellas and Julian uh, Lammering missed like a ton of post-ups over mismatches. So this could have easily been a 20-plus point win. But yeah, they they got it done and they did about as good of a job as anyone seems to have done on Dope Passavan this year, maybe apart from like Landil. 
um, yeah. will just apart from know. the teams that are actually like super equipped to do it. With, yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll never know what the pass fans' numbers are because nobody's bothered to keep stats for this game. A hundred. Yeah. So hundred points while being triple teamed. Last couple of German ones will run through these pretty quick because they were relatively one sided. Uh Landil seventy five, Hamburg thirty two. Tommy Bomo is back. Yeah, and... welcome back, Tommy. He went seven from twenty two and was plus thirty in <laughs> in twenty nine minutes. <laughs> Tommy being like, right, I've been out for a few weeks. Can I get twenty two shots up in twenty eight minutes? You best believe I can. But he is like um, he's just gonna get his shots up no matter yeah. what. Like He's like, hey of guys, course. I've actually I've actually had a really damaged wrist and I've not been able to get shoot like shooting reps up for the last month or so. I need to make up for it in game. Yeah, him um, being like, hey, I wasn't able to get on court, so do you mind? <laughs> but no, like he's there to shoot. Like if you don't want him yeah. to shoot, have him sit beside you. <laughs> yeah, um, um, that's what he does, and that's what he's going to do. But everyone else was quite efficient, and they were pretty overmatched, so it didn't really matter. Obviously, yeah. no. No double figure scorers for Hamburg tells the story here. I think um, this was just meant to go down this way. Yes. So shout out to Landil, and yeah, they've basically they've got Tommy back, as we mentioned one game before going up against the ring, and so that one's going to look drastically different to how this one does. Yeah, um, I hope. I was going to say good timing. I hope it's early enough that it's good timing. Like I hope he's like a hundred percent by then because. Yeah, everyone who watches basketball wants to see the two best versions of these teams go up against each other. So yeah, yeah exactly. hopefully he's one hundred percent already and will be. But yeah, yeah, nearly everyone got up, got going, and got nearly everyone's in double figures plus minus, no matter what their <laughs> minutes. So yeah, pretty cut and dry. The mark of a blowout. And last one, real quick: Hot Rolling Bears forty-five, ING Skywheelers eighty-five. Um, this was two lowest down teams in the German league, but orders of magnitude and class even between these guys. So mm-hmm. Nico Dreimuller with twenty, Sven Diedrich with twenty-one, Fabian Gale with seventeen, eight each for Katrina Lang and Marion Kind from the Skywheelers. And yeah, Hot Rolling Bears got sixteen from Abraham Mamo, eleven each from Lena Nippelmer and Anfreda Briel. But yeah, man. It's not often we get to say this, but Skywheel has just had too much for these guys, and Nico Dreimuller is in a weird spot of feasting on weaker teams and being thoroughly swamped by stronger teams. So it's nice to see, nice to see him get good clean shots off against not great teams. Yeah, being a like a two that can kind of shoot past a dribble, um, but still being a two means that like the better teams are obviously going to be able to do something about it, but no, nothing for him here. Yeah. Yeah, very little to talk about that. Random question before we go. Well, two bits. Is it who gets the belt? Uh no, it's before we get the before we share the belt out. Um I was talking to someone recently about the number of players in wheelchair basketball that can shoot, pass and dribble at like a consequential level. And right. is it like 50? <laughs> Uh, what do you mean by consequential? Do you mean like running an offense, or do you mean like if we pass this guy the ball, someone isn't going to have to go and rescue them? When I say pass the ball, I don't mean like you can throw a chess pass against a wall and have it hit the wall. <laughs> I mean like 
you can like oh, right, right. left hand, you see something over there and you can go, oh, I can push the ball over there. Shooting, maybe shoot enough that a team has to respect it and you can score from 15 feet. Standard wheelchair yeah. basketball stuff. And I don't know, dribbling, can you put the ball on the floor to get in or out of, get get yourself out of trouble or get another team into trouble uh, going both directions with both hands. When you say is it about 50, how would you feel if I made a list of the people I could think of and published it? Uh, I would feel terrible about that. <laughs> you can do that in your own personal time and your own social medias, but I wouldn't feel great about that being mistaken as a joint venture. Okay, fair enough. I'll just put um, your name on it when I post it on the Substack. Oh god, I would hate that. But <laughs> yeah, all right. Should we give out the belt? Let's do it. All right. So, who are your candidates this week? Um, well, we should start with an apology because we were met with severe outrage about the fact that Yelmer <laughs> won it last week. That's uh, so funny because we tried to keep the belt away from Yelmer as a joke, and then we give it to him, and we actually get abuse for it. Yeah, <laughs> and the abuse we got was from two of his former teammates as well, which is goddamn hilarious. <laughs> and oh god, that's that's specific. Yeah. It's not. He's played with a lot of people, but yeah, as a joke. Um, my vote. I think I don't think there's an obvious candidate for it in the Hanover and um, Thuringen game because I think Thuringen kind of won that one by committee, mm-hmm. um, which we probably should also reward, but that's not what we're doing here. You can't put two um, people in one belt. Don't be silly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think mine would be Alexi Ramone because this is now four straight wins for Gran Canaria. And as we mentioned, they would be like this wouldn't have even been a contest had he not been having his best game of the season. Sure. Yeah. Uh, my vote would have been for Bill, probably, but I'll let you have it. Yeah, you only vote for Bill because then you don't look bitter. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Uh, okay. We've got, so we've got a tie. Do we need to, like, have we got anyone we can dial up to decide for us? Uh, no, I I guess we just figure it out between between ourselves off the podcast we, and then go for there. Should we do joint belt holders for the first time ever? Nah, that's, um, that's not in the spirit of the belt, not having a spirit <laughs> to be in. Exactly. Okay, we will. So yeah, if anyone's listening up to this point, stay tuned for when we eventually decide off the podcast. Or actually, you need to tell me who the uh, trash talker is because the belt might go to them. Ah, uh, no, I'll tell you off air. Okay. Right, on that note, we'll get out of here. Cool. Take it easy. Thank you very much for listening. And yeah, see you soon. Peace.